Welcome, proud members of the present, to another episode of the Primalosophy Podcast. Go to Primalosophy.com for one-on-one wellness coaching. My guest on the podcast today is Floatmaster and founder and CEO of Zero Gravity Institute, Kevin Johnson. Zero Gravity Institute is a state-of-the-art flotation center and private research facility in Austin, Texas that I can't wait to check out on my next visit to Austin. In this episode, we get to know Kevin and his love for sensory deprivation. We cover everything from what to expect from your first float to the healing powers of floating for first responders and military. Kevin lets us in on the book he's working on called Floating, Evolution of the Next Consciousness, and much more. I really enjoyed this conversation with Kevin, and if you want to support the show, you can do so by clicking subscribe and leaving a review. Enjoy the episode. Kevin Johnson, thank you so much for being on my podcast, man. Hey, thanks, Nick. I appreciate the invitation. I've been wanting some. Yeah, I've been wanting somebody to come on here and talk about the benefits of float tanks or sensory deprivation tanks for some time. So, just give us a little bit about your background and your journey up to this point. Well, I started floating about, um, gosh, it's been almost thirty-five years ago. Uh, right when I got out of college, <clears throat> I I went out to Los Angeles to um, to go to work, and um, I had, I had recently seen that movie Altered States. Do you know that movie? Classic. With with William Hurt, uh, the is a uh, Ken Russell film. I think it was made in like 1980 or something like that. And uh, you know, I was a psychedelic kid, so that that movie really, really uh, captured my imagination. And but I I didn't realize at the time that the flotation tank was a real thing. I thought it was just a mechanism for that movie. Uh huh. Um. And then when I went out to L.A., I was flipping through the, the L.A. Weekly one morning, and I see this article about this float center in, uh, in West Hollywood, and here's a picture of that flotation tank that was being used in the movie. And I was like, oh, my gosh, that's, that's that thing. <laughs> it's real. And, uh, yeah, and, and so I immediately called them, and uh, I got an appointment, and a buddy of mine and I went in, and and uh, we floated and man i i really couldn't believe that when i got out and you know i i I went home changed clothes and i I went down to the beach and just started walking down the beach and i just couldn't believe how i felt i mean you know i was just a kid i was 19 and i there was no um context for this feeling like i felt so centered and so calm and and so connected i really i couldn't believe that this feeling, the sensation that I was experiencing could have anything to do with something as deceptively simple as laying in a dark box full of warm salt water. <laughs> and um, really enjoyed my day. I had incredible rest that night and crazy dreams. And a couple of days later, I called because I just felt like I needed to go back in and check it out again. And I went back for another float and on that visit, I was lucky enough to meet one of the owners mm-hmm. and, uh, I just had so many questions for him. I just, I just pummeled him with questions. And by the end of our conversation, he just looked at me and he's like, Hey, do you want to work here? <laughs> he's like, you're, you're so into this. Like you could work here and you could float for free as much as you want. And I was like, Oh yeah, definitely. I'm taking that gig. So that's kind of how I got started in it. Yeah. So did you, did you enjoy it the first time? I mean, I know for a lot of people, it doesn't click at first and it kind of accumulates as far as the benefits in there, the, uh, how comfortable they are in there. Mm-hmm. 
I really enjoyed it my first time. But, you know, um, since opening our float center uh, in Austin and, and just dealing with the people coming through, I'm starting to realize more and more that 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 first float can it's so novel. What you're doing is just so novel and new that a lot of times that keeps your mind busy. Mm-hmm. So what we what we try to do at, at zero gravity is um, we we do a, a three float introductory package so that we make it super cheap so you can come in and get that first float out of the way. And then what we find is that when people come back in, now the novelty's gone. They they're comfortable in that environment. You know, I, okay, yeah, I know what's going on. I've been here. I've done this. And then then they really relax and get in deep into the float. The third time they come back, they go in deep. They go in faster. And it just you know it's a cumulative thing. It's a practice, just like everything else, right? Right. And the more you do it, the better you get at it. And so. You know, we see that like there's one kind of realization, one epiphany that happens like somewhere around float five or six where people realize, oh, wow, this floating is a lot more than I expected it to be. And then we'll see it again somewhere around float 25 or 30 where all of a sudden they go super, super deep where they really get into some unusual non-ordinary reality some some really deep um altered state of consciousness and and that that's that's when the potential of the tank really starts to become apparent to people yeah yeah so there are no prerequisites to floating but i imagine there are a few things that can help like you said earlier maybe some experiences with psychedelics or just just more familiarity with getting out of your comfort zone a history with meditation yeah i i mean i think i think that a some experience with meditation can really help. Um, some experience with altering consciousness, not, not necessarily psychedelics. That's a, that's a pretty big leap for a lot of people, but, um, just getting into meditative states or, you know, rhythmic drumming or dancing or rattling or something, something where they've learned that like this dominant state of awareness is not all there is to the game. Yeah, and I think yeah. that term "altered state" may put a negative connotation on it for some people. It just kind of scare them away because they don't want to experience that. But I think it's kind of a more accurate term would be the default state. You know, when all of that stimulus is put to aside and it's just you and your thoughts and your breath. Right. You know, Dr. John Lilly created this. What was he hoping to find? Well, Lilly was a neuroscientist. He was working for the National Institute of Mental Health, and the the prevailing theory at the time was that if you cut off all input to the brain, that you'd kind of go into a light coma. Like that, that that's literally what most researchers and scientists thought about it was like the brain would just shut down that, that the sensory input was what was stimulating the brain to even function and run in a normal way. And so Lily set out to, to test that hypothesis, you know, and, um, Man, the tank went through a bunch of different incarnations, some really weird designs, some things that looked more like torture devices than, <laughs> than a tool for relaxation. But Yeah, wasn't there uh, like a helmet at some point? Yeah. Yeah, it, it, he started out with a he started out in a pool 
it was looking like a big watering trough, like a big round farm trough <laughs> full of water. And then he, he put people in a hood with a breathing apparatus and, and like a, um, one of those old style water skiing flotation belts, <laughs> yeah. just, just horrible. And then come a long way after that, it was a, it was an upright container that you got into and you wore like one of those old brass diving helmets, you know, and, and it's like that, that, that didn't really accomplish the goal for, of sensory deprivation because you've got all that apparatus attached to you. Yeah. So it didn't really, didn't really function, didn't really serve the purpose. So he did some interesting experiments with dolphins as well, right? I mean, can you tell me more about that or is that just myth? No, he did. He, he was working in the Bahamas doing dolphin research, but, um, he was working on like the ability to communicate with dolphins and train. And I mean, there's a lot of weird stories about some of the stuff that he got into, but as I understand it, he bailed on that project because he found out that the Navy wanted to use dolphins to deliver explosives. Oh. And that, that's, that's when he got out of it. Wow. But I, I, have, I haven't really um, dived into that side of his research so much. Yeah, it's just interesting. So for a beginner mind, just talk to me about what floating is and the benefits of floating for those who have never experienced it before and have absolutely no idea what a float tank is. Okay, so um, if you, so the flotation tank is um, a light-proof and soundproof chamber of some size and shape. So they started out um, just kind of a rectangular box that was four feet wide, four feet tall, and eight feet long. And, um, and that's what we had in the float world for a couple of decades. And that, that system is called a Samadhi. And it, it was developed um, by a, a guy named Glenn Perry. And Glenn Perry is actually somebody who is not really recognized for his contribution to the flotation tank. He, he's actually the one that proposed to Lily that, um, that they use a high, a high um, density of um, a high amount of Epsom salt in the solution. So he, he was actually pretty important to the development. But at, at any rate, now there's, now there's like uh, the traditional tanks, there's the pods, which are like an egg shape capsule that opens like a clamshell. And then there's um, what we call float rooms or float cabins, which are just what they imply. They're, they're small rooms, like the ones that we um, manufactured for a while were um, six feet wide, eight feet long, and seven feet tall. Um, they, all, they all function in the same way. So you have between 10 and 12 inches of water in the bottom of the tank. And then that water is saturated with, with anywhere from 800 to 1,200 pounds of Epsom salt. And then that solution is heated to your outside skin temperature, what we call skin receptor neutral. So it's, it's right about 93.5 degrees. That's the temperature at which you don't register the solution as being warm or cold. It's just neutral. So you'll take a shower, you get into the tank, you close, up, close the door or close the lid on the tank, sit down on the bottom of the tank and lie back. And then as you do that, then the salt takes over and eventually you just pop up to the surface. You don't have to do any work. It happens on its own. And then you're floating in just, just the top, you know, maybe three inches, four inches of the solution. And then usually there's some lights and some music going on in there while you, while you get situated. But at a certain point, the lights will go down, the music will go down until ultimately 
you have complete darkness, complete silence, no temperature, and no gravity. And so at that point, we're taking about 90% of the workload off of your brain and your central nervous system. And this is really the magic of the flotation tank. Because at this point, then your, your brain and your nervous system can reallocate resources that it was using to process incoming information, can now reallocate those resources to doing background work in the body that, it, that, that your body doesn't normally get to do. Kind of like t shutting down all of the tabs that you have open on a certain internet window. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're doing a lot of heavy lifting in that very first moment of you getting into the tank. We're eliminating a lot of the distractions and a lot of the work that the brain and the nervous system have to do. And then the body can do things like produce neurotransmitters like dopamine and serotonin and melatonin. It can um, do, you know, healing, cellular regeneration, recovery from workouts and injuries. And uh, you do extra digestion. You, there's an endochromatic response. Your, your body actually starts producing endorphins because it's such an easy and comfortable environment. Your, your endocrine system wants to reward you for putting your body in that environment. Yeah. And that's what makes it so pleasurable in there. It makes it so nice and cozy and where we can do longer and longer and longer floats because <laughs> uh -huh. you, you just get it, start feeling good. So if you put the benefits side by side of sleeping, like the, the restorative processes that happen when you're sleeping against those of flotation therapy, what is the difference? Well, when you're sleeping, even if you're in the most comfortable bed that you've ever had, you still have all this external stimuli to deal with. You still have temperature. You still have sound. You may have light. You have temperature. You, there's the weight of gravity on your body pushing you down against the bed, right? Right. So even though you're technically sleeping and resting, your brain is still processing incoming information. So it's still doing a lot of work even though you're sleeping. Mm -hmm. And that's what's so special about the unique environment of the flotation tank is all of those distractions are gone. And gravity may be one of the most profound changes because for most people the flotation tank is going to be the first time you felt anything other than that constant downward pull of gravity on your body right and this yeah, is right. using up a lot of brain power yeah i remember my first float it was in a samadhi tank and that's the first thing that i experienced a feeling that, like i was in space yeah and, yeah, and I know that can be frightening for a lot of people. Let's bust some of those common myths before we keep going with all the benefits. Like, first of all, you're not going to drown. Your head is not going to sink. Nope. I, I spend the night in the tanks on a regular basis. I, I'll climb in there and stay in there for eight or nine hours. I was going to ask you that. Yeah. In and out of sleep, in and out of sleep the whole time. I'm totally comfortable sleeping in a tank. I've found that if you make that movement, like you want to roll over, if you just do that, all you're going to do is spin around in circles, <laughs> right? So, I mean, you have to try to flip yourself over. You have to, you have to like sit down on the bottom of the tank, engage your core and flip yourself over. It's, it's highly unlikely that you're going to manage that just, just lying there. Yeah. So how do you help comfort those who are claustrophobic? We tell them that there's no rules about floating, that if you're not comfortable, leave the door open, turn the light on, whatever you need to do to be comfortable. 
ultimately the best results come from a pure sensory deprivation environment. But if that is stressing you out, kind of defeats the purpose of getting you in the tank. So take baby steps, leave the door open, leave the light on, whatever it takes to be comfortable and work your way into it. Maybe it's not for two or three or four or five floats down the road, but you can actually close everything up and really experience the pure sensory deprivation. Yeah, the benefits really do accumulate and you do get better at this. Or I, I shouldn't say better, but you just get more comfortable and relax into it faster. Yeah, and that whole that whole thing about claustrophobia, that's why the industry moved toward larger float rooms, right? Um, when uh, I, I was manufacturing tanks <clears throat> for a number of years, I just stopped doing that last year, but... That's one of the reasons that we made ours so big. Our, our tanks were bigger than most people's bathrooms at home. <laughs> and if you can point that out to people and say, hey, look, you go in your bathroom and get in the bathtub or take a shower all the time. This room is bigger than that. So it should be easy for you to be comfortable in there. Does that help with the stuffiness at all in those larger rooms? Because I know I've had the experience yeah. in some tanks where it's just like a little hard to breathe. Yeah, and that, that's another big reason for it is to get some air volume over your head and, and be able to use passive ventilation to let to let fresh air in and hot air out and keep keep the temperature stable. It's a little easier to do that with, with more air volume. Yeah. So what are some of the other common concerns that you hear that I'm forgetting? Uh, you know, I, I, I think the most common one, at least at least for Westerners, has to do more with like, I don't know if I can be alone with myself for an hour. <laughs> that means you need it more. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That's telling you something, you know. Um, but those, those, those are probably, you know, the, that, that's probably the biggest concern. Like, Oh, do people freak out in there or whatever? You know, um, it's, it's surprisingly rare that people have any kind of uh, adverse reaction to the, the tank environment. Yeah. So you said the most powerful function of floating is it facilitates people's access to deep states of consciousness and expand awareness. Can you tell me more about that? Yeah. So, um, I'll back up one step and, and talk about, so when, whenever I talk to people about floating, I, I, I break the benefits down into four categories. Um, so the first one is just simple stress reduction and relaxation. Uh, it kind of speaks for itself. The second category is more about, um, physical healing and rejuvenation. We talked a little bit about that. That's why a lot of athletes turn to the tank. It's because it's quick recovery from workouts or competitions or injuries um, that come from those things. The third category is one that applies more to cognitive function and creativity. There's been a few studies that have been done about um, how the brain is affected um, by this environment and, and the level of creativity, learning new skills, learning a language, learning computer programs, writing books, composing music. Um, a lot of dancers use it for visualization where they, they get in there and visualize their routines, things like that. So those are the first three categories. Those, those kind of benefits I look at as sort of great side effects, right? Because in my 30 plus years of floating, my experience has been that the, the most profound benefit is this access to altered states of consciousness and the kind of profound, deep, transformative personal work that we can accomplish when we're in these other states of awareness. And it, it definitely takes time and practice, 
But the more we do it and the more we learn about it, the more the more we become sensitive to our own mental state and what kind of things are good to work on in those particular states, then we can get down to doing some really transformative work on ourselves. And this is what's interesting. So not long ago, I read an article that said that at any given moment, there's 400 million bits of information available to your brain. And that number seemed outrageous to me until I really stopped to take a look at what was going on around me. So imagine if you're walking downtown in a city and just take a snapshot of what might be happening. So you have light sources, you have cars going by, horns honking, people talking, sounds of the city, you have temperature, you have gravity, you have colors, all of this, this uh, stimulus around you. And it's, it's just overwhelming. And the truth is that no human being has the capability of processing all of that incoming information. And so we tend to break things into two categories. What's important to my survival and well-being and then everything else. And so we process the sensory input that has to do with our survival and well-being. And that's, that's, where, that's where most of the work is being done. And everything else, which is a lot, everything else, we take it in and we shove it down below our consciousness. I'll deal with it later. It's not important to me right now. I don't need to process this. And so every day we go out into the world and we take this incoming information and we shove it down and we shove it down and we shove it down. And it's the energy from all of this unprocessed information that leaves a residue on the lens through which we are viewing the world and we are viewing ourselves and our place in the world. It's literally like trying to drive with a dirty windshield. And so we make bad decisions, we take bad actions, we have bad relationships with people, we say the wrong thing, we do the wrong thing, all because our view is distorted. And when we get in the flotation tank and we enter these altered states of consciousness and we start doing this kind of work, we clear the lens through which we're seeing the world. And now we can make better decisions because we have more information, clearer information. Right. And for this reason, I personally believe that the flotation tank will one day be seen as a public health breakthrough. Right. So maybe not as mainstream as antibiotics or antisepsis or something like that. But but really and truly, the flotation tank is a hygienic process for the psychology. Uh, yeah, there's so much that I want to touch on there. So basically, if you are embarking on a float tank experience, you're embarking on a journey of self-discovery. And be prepared that you are going to engage in that deeply transformative personal work, which most of us are afraid to do. Right. I mean, there's no guarantee. There's lots and lots of people who come to the flotation tank just to relax, just to unwind. Maybe they want to deal with some chronic pain. It's good for that, too. Maybe they want to deal with um, anxiety or depression or things like that, PTSD. Like These are all great benefits. But the truth is, you're going to get to the bottom of these things. You're going to figure out why you're anxious, why you're stressed out, why you have PTSD. You're going to find these as you enter these different states of consciousness, as the brain starts to clean itself out. This is like uh, defragmenting a hard drive. Mm-hmm. 
we free up resources for the brain to look through the filing system and say, okay, what is this? Oh, that's important. I need to keep that and file that away. What's this other thing? Oh, well, that's just trash. Get rid of it. Yeah. And so it's interesting in the tank. If you follow the mind, just watch where your mind goes. Become the neutral observer. Don't grab onto anything. Don't push anything away. Just observe the mind. You'll see and, and understand what's going on in your own psychology. You'll see like, oh, look at, look at me cleaning out this garbage. Here's, here's this memory that I haven't thought of since it happened. That was years ago. It's rattling around in the storage system, taking up space and resources. Let's just get rid of it. Yeah, so it, it really does aid in that root cause recognition. Yeah. Once the superfluous stuff is gone, now we can get down to working on the stuff that's really important. The psychological luggage that we've been toting around for our entire life, figure out how it's affecting us and what we need to do about it. Mm -hmm. and this is profound. This is profound work. Well, this is one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on the show today was because obviously I work with a lot of first responders and who are under chronic stress and a lot of them have PTSD. So this is a tool that they can use. Right. Right. So, I mean, t tell me about like a firsthand experience with maybe someone in the military or a firefighter or police and how this kind of helped them. So we see it a lot, right? So, so, so one, one of the issues here is, um, especially with PTSD and, and uh, we see a lot of first responders and, you know, they're, they're pretty self-sufficient people first responders, military, right? Like they're trained, they're tough. They've seen a lot and they know how to deal with it, but that stuff stacks up. And, and a lot of these guys are, they're, they're um, they have initiative. They have, they're, they're self guided, right? They, they don't feel comfortable going into a counseling situation and, and bearing their soul to, to a doctor. Right. And, and so they just keep suppressing that stuff. Imagine what they see in the day and they don't have time to respond to it. They, they don't have time to deal with the sensations and emotions that should come along with seeing trauma. Right. And so they're, they're, they're like, store that stuff, deal with it later. I've got a job to do right now. But when do they ever really get to deal with it? This is a big question for them. And so we've seen this. We've seen guys that have come back from from uh, war zones and they've seen a lot. And they're dealing with a lot and they've got a lot in the storage banks. And it's really interesting for them to be able to work through that process at their own pace, right? They're not being prescribed drugs to, to, to disguise it or blanket it or push it down further. Um, they're not having to deal with talking to a therapist on the therapist's schedule. Hey, it's two o'clock on Wednesday afternoon. Now's the time you're going to talk about it. Right. Like for some people, that's that's just not going to work in the flotation tank. It's self-guided. Like that's what's beautiful about the tank. It's it's a fluid situation. It, it's it's about whatever works best for that person during that session. And so maybe they come in one day and they scrape a little bit at the surface and they go, wow, there's that thing that I experienced while I was in battle or while I was responding to this emergency that I've never really dealt with. Right. And they just kind of scratch the surface. Oh, there's that thing there. 
And then over the next couple of floats, they, they get into it deeper and deeper and deeper and they unpack it and they figure out like, how do I deal with this experience? How do I deal with these sensations and emotions that come along with all the things that I've seen and done? And, and it's very much a self-guided kind of healing. This really appeals to a lot of people. Yeah, it's undeniable. I've experienced the same thing firsthand, especially the, the feeling that you get when you step out of a float session is, is kind of undescribable, but there's just really nothing else like it. Absolutely. That's why I keep going back to it. It's become my primary practice in my life. Yeah, I hope for, you know, for first responders and anyone out there that this can become prescriptive at some point in the future for, for all sorts of ailments, but especially, you know, it's, there's no pills and procedures and it can help you with your chronic stress and PTSD. Let's talk about how it can aid in, in those who are sleep deprived. Mm -hmm. So, um, from a real, um, pragmatic point of view, you're, you're, your system is producing melatonin when you're in the tank. So that that's going to affect your sleep cycle right there. Just your ability to sleep. Mm -hmm. Plus getting stress and anxiety, relaxing the body. I mean, Epsom salt, which is what we use in the tanks, that's a muscle relaxer. So really you're getting, you're, you're getting rid of a lot of physical energy, like stored physical energy that doesn't have any other way to escape. And that's and that combined with the higher levels of melatonin are definitely going to uh, affect the, the sleeping cycle. Yeah, this is a great option if you're getting off duty and you guys were up all night taking runs and you're sleep deprived. Go sit in a float tank. I've never been able to fall asleep in a float tank in in just the sixty to ninety minute sessions. Um, but I guess mm -hmm. that wouldn't be the worst thing. Um, it's definitely restorative. And also, you mentioned that Epsom salt. Is that are those benefits due to the high levels of magnesium? Yeah. So. Um, it's, it's, it's interesting. So Epsom salt is magnesium sulfate heptahydrate. Basically what that means is a very small molecule. You can dissolve seven molecules of magnesium in a single molecule of water. And the rule in the body is that wherever the magnesium goes, the water follows. So uh, you can hydrate your system. That's why they use magnesium as a diuretic. Because if you take it internally, then your your digestive system is flushed with water. Right? And so it, it, it functions in terms uh, in, in those terms. And then there's also some um, conductivity in the nervous system that's affected. By it. The science shows that pretty much all Americans are deficient in magnesium. Is there literature out there that shows a deficient person who uh, maybe pre and post flotation tank? Does that raise magnesium levels? Yeah, if you are low on magnesium, you'll absorb it through your skin. You'll you'll have what's called transdermal absorption. Mm -hmm. Back on the sleep topic, if you are to come there, you know, say you get two hours of sleep and then you come to a float tank, should one expect to feel more alert and energized afterwards? I don't know if if energized is maybe the right uh, word to describe it. Um, alert, definitely. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you, you can just imagine like when you, when you cut yourself off from all that sensory input for a certain amount of time, then, then you get out of the tank. You, you've probably experienced this, Nick, where it's like, gosh, colors seem brighter. Music sounds amazing. Food tastes amazing. Sex is incredible, right? Like, it's just like your whole sensitivity in your system is turned up. Yeah, that's where it differs from like a psychedelic experience where afterwards with the float tank you get out and it and the benefits you know they they continue yeah i mean you know that that's an interesting topic there you, we we do um 
we do a lot of work around using the flotation tanks to do post psychedelic experience integration work. It's I, I, my wife and I do a lot of work with ayahuasca and we recommend that everybody who sits with us in, in ayahuasca ceremonies that they do, um, a pre and post ceremony float. Uh, the pre-float just to relax you and kind of get you centered and focused on what you're about to do. And then the post-float to um, give your mind an opportunity to sort out and uh, the, the, the experience that you just had and to start doing the, the integration work that's so important post-experience. That's incredible, Kevin. So that could be such a game changer. Potentially, you could work with you know, institutions like John Hopkins and this could become the new standard. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, we're, we're rubbing up against that right now. Um, uh, I, I think that the, the most promising, um, most promising thing around that subject is probably, you know, people like maps, um, uh, I know Rick Doblin and I have had many conversations with him about the flotation tanks and using the flotation tanks as part of the the treatment protocol that he's putting together with things like MDMA. Mm-hmm. And and I've personally seen it with, you know, people that have had recent psilocybin experiences, ayahuasca experience, peyote experience, like it's really 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 good to get in the tank. So I think as the use of psychedelics for therapy starts to become more mainstream, you'll see the the use of flotation tanks as part of that protocol. I I think it's inevitable. Yeah, I think that will have a phenomenal impact. So earlier you mentioned the pillars uh, or the different areas of healing that the float tank can provide. And we touched on stress, PTSD, and some of the physical benefits. What what, What did we miss? Cognitive function. Is the, is the other one. Cognitive function. Another thing I was going to ask about is unlocking your creative potential. I imagine for artists, this could be a, a, a real game changer. Yeah, there's a there's a um, a research paper that's floating around out there that was done uh, kind of in the mid '80s, uh, where they where they uh, studied jazz musicians, improvisational musicians, and um, how the flotation tank was affecting their ability to improvise and be more creative. And, uh, it was, it, it laid out some pretty positive responses from that. And I mean, I I know personally that it works. I'm also a musician. I've used it for uh, space to do composition. Uh, I'm writing a book about floating right now. And most of that book has been written in the flotation tank. The things that you experience in there, the um, the important things are going to stick with you. Yeah, You're going to remember. The good stuff sticks. My recommendation for people is just journaling. Like, get out of the tank and write it all down. You know? Yeah, and most and most float centers do have those handy. Yeah, some they we we all usually have some kind of lounge or some place that you can go to. You know, if it's a good center, they're going to provide you with a, a space to hang out in after your float because that's just really important. Yeah, for sure. So what model of float tank is your favorite and what makes zero gravity top of the line? Well, we like like I said earlier, like I I manufactured float tanks for five or six years. And um, so we we use zero gravity float rooms is what we use. And uh, I, I, I spent a lot of time and a lot of money developing 
that system. It's really technical. It's got a couple of computers attached to it that control the environment, control the filtration system and the water chemistry and the lighting and the music and temperature. Everything is controlled by computer. Um, they, They were very expensive tanks but they're they're also built to last so i think in a commercial setting i i designed zero gravity float tanks to be the top of the line for commercial use now there's all kinds of tanks out there i don't it's hard to say you know what's best because it just it depends on the application it depends on where you're putting it are you putting it in your house are you putting it in a dedicated float center? Is it in the back room of a chiropractor's office? It really, it really just depends. And there's a lot of good manufacturers out there nowadays, which is one of the reasons that I stopped doing it was there's plenty of other people doing it. So do you set aside time each day to float? Uh, not every day. I, I try to float two or three times a week. Um, I do go through periods of time when I'm floating every single day. Um, there's pros and cons to that. Um, so what I find, so I've done a couple of experiments in my life where I've done a hundred days of at least one hour in the tank. And in in that hundred days, I'll do a bunch of two and three hour floats and then at least one overnight. So one eight or nine hour float. And I've done this several times in my life. And um, because I'm so interested in studying altered states of consciousness and what happens to us in these states of non-ordinary reality, um, that's really what my focus was on as I was doing this research. And what I found out was that after about 40 to 50 days of floating every single day, you kind of end up in your own world. <laughs> yeah. I, I used yeah. to say that, you know, reality gets slippery and it's, it's, it's just, you're not, I don't know exactly how to say this, but you're not really functioning on the same plane that everybody else is in ordinary consensus reality. Do you think you're maybe experiencing a level of stillness that, that no one else can understand? Um, I think other people could understand it, but yeah, I think you're onto something there. Like there is, there is a deep level of stillness that, that comes with a, with a mature floating practice. Mm-hmm. It takes time, but when, once you, once you're floating on a regular basis for a long time, you can get so, so, so deep into your floats. The amazing stuff happens there. Just amazing stuff. I could regale you with stories. We could be here all day. Yeah. 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 It's incredible. So is there anything else exciting or interesting out there in the world of floating? Well, so floating's in kind of a weird place right now. Um, you know, we got really popular again, um, eight or nine years ago, like it really hit really strong again, partially because there was a lot of celebrity voices and, and professional athletes and things like that. People that were advocating, for floating and, and really, um, promoting the benefits of floating. And it got really, really popular. And, uh, what we've seen in the last couple of years is the popularity is kind of, I don't want to say it's dying off, but it's leveling out. We were, we were on this amazing run there for a while. And, uh, what I've started to realize, and this is, this is the subject of 
the book that I'm um, just about finished with, I'll, I'll be putting it out the first part of next year, uh, is the industry kind of got away from looking at altered states of consciousness and claiming the edges of consciousness as a place where profound things can happen. Because that's a subject that's very hard to talk about with the general public. People are always worried about sounding flaky or new agey or hippie-ish or whatever you want to call it. And so the industry kind of defaulted into this more practical, pragmatic view of what floating was. And, and we, we only wanted to talk about stress reduction and anxiety and PTSD and fibromyalgia and things like that. And it, and it, it really kind of backfired on the industry. I think people, th those are not particularly engaging subjects, right? Like interesting to talk about once or twice, but that's not something that's, that's going to sustain and hold people's interest for any amount of time. And, and because, because commercial float centers weren't effectively communicating with their clientele about the profound benefits of altered states of consciousness, it left people kind of wondering after a while, like, what am I doing? What's the float tank good for? Am I doing it right? Most importantly, what happens next? Because as Westerners, we're trained culturally to take the medicine until the symptoms go away, right? So if you're coming in for anxiety or chronic pain or something like that, and then suddenly you're out of pain or you're not stressed out anymore, then chances are you're going to quit floating, right? Right. That's just what we're culturally programmed to do. Whereas with these other subjects around states of awareness and around altered states of consciousness, this becomes a practice that we work on over and over and over again to go deeper and deeper and have more and more profound transformative experiences in the tank. That's right. And so what I'm trying to do with my, my new book is called Floating Evolution of the Next Consciousness. And this addresses the what's next moment when people hit that point where, they, where they're saying, so what's, what am I supposed to be getting out of floating? What happens now? Now, now that person is prime to um, look at the experience as something deeper, something that uh, the tank, it, it, the tank now becomes a tool for them to use to um, achieve these profound changes that they're looking for in their life. Mm -hmm. You kind of cut out there for a second. Did you say there, that going along with the book, there's a transformational program? Yeah, it's called transformational flotation. And basically what it's, what, what I'm doing is I'm, it's what I call lines of development. So these are about your personal development. So, and actually see that they, they are achieving something. They are making progress in, in, in the work that they're doing. And, and for, a, for a lot of Westerners, that's what we require. Yeah. Just so, like, just like anything else, this is a practice. Right. And so for me personally, this is, this is what's exciting. This is what's on the horizon for floating is that we're, we're, we are learning a way to apply that information to their floating practice so that they can mark their progress. Well, that's, that's, I'm, I'm really excited to read that, Kevin. That sounds awesome. So just a few more questions before we wrap up. I was just curious, is there a podcast out there that exists where people record while floating? <laughs> Not that I know of. The problem is that the floating environment, that, that salt, it just, 
eats everything. Like it's so hard on the building. It's so hard on the floor. It's so hard on your fixtures and your electrical outlets. And so it's like introducing things like recording equipment into the flotation tank is really tough. Uh huh. I'm curious what you're reading right now. Uh, that's a good question. Um, I, I, I am deeply involved in my shamanic practice. And so most of what I read has to do with shamanism, animism, consciousness, things like that. And, um, right now, um, I'm reading a, a book by a guy named Coyote the Blind, and it's called Teachings of a Toltec Survivor. And uh, it's just a, a really interesting look at, at Toltec shamanism. Very cool. Yeah, I had Don Miguel Reyes Jr. on here before touching oh, on yeah. some Toltec wisdom. I love it. So, I do. Yeah, he, he's the man. So if you could have a drink with anyone in history, who would you choose and why? That, that changes. A lot, right? So it kind of depends on like what I'm researching, what I'm studying, what I'm reading, things like that. Um, I get it's interesting that we were just talking about Toltec philosophy because um, I think if if I had to decide today, I would I would probably want to sit down with Carlos Castaneda. Um, his his early work with um, Don Juan Matus, the Yaqui medicine man. Um, and their exploration of Toltec philosophy was really, um, uh, fundamental to a, a lot of the, a lot of the work that I do now. And, um, I, I, I would like, I, I think if I could sit with Castaneda for a while, there's, there's some questions that I'd like to ask and get some clarification on, on, on Toltec shamanism. Awesome. So what are your daily non-negotiables, things that no matter what will always be done? Do something every morning that I think is really important to do. Uh, so the first thing I do when I get up is I go outside barefoot. I stand on the ground and I close my eyes and I look at the sun. And I, it tells my brain that it's time to wake up. It, it allows my body a moment to ground out to uh, make, make connection to the earth. And then after I do that, I do some kind of work that connects me to nature. And this is something that's really missing in our lives. And I think that people would benefit from this a great deal. So I'll go on a hike. I'll uh, work with plants in my yard. Um, something that, that reaffirms my deep connection to the mother earth, to, to the earth that, that gave birth to all of us. I love that. It's like finding ways every day to reharmonize. Yeah, I had a, I'll tell you a really interesting experience that I had with this. So when I first started doing this practice, um, I, I do my grounding and look at the sun and then, then I would start messing around with the plants. I, I love to grow plants. I have a backyard full and, and, um, I was really noticing that I, I felt a lot better when I did that compared to the days if I was rushed and I didn't get to do it and I'd just go out and head out into my day, just, just my day wasn't as good. It didn't run as smoothly. And, um, so that's when I started making it a, a, a non-negotiable that, that I do that every morning. But then I had this really, ex really interesting experience. I was, I was sitting in an ayahuasca ceremony and I didn't have much work to do in terms of the group that was there. And, so I just had a, a few moments to kind of do my own work. And I, 
I asked the mother about this and asked what, what was going on with this practice? Like, why did it make me feel so good? And through a series of very interesting and beautiful visions that she provided for me, I came to realize that there's geometry in nature and that sacred geometry is something that we as human beings evolved with. We used to spend the majority of our day identifying plants, looking at the shape and the color and the texture. And, and it was literally life or death. That's food. That's medicine. Uh, that's poison. Right. And, and now that we get our food and our medicine from the store, we don't have to go through that process. And so we're missing that, that, that part of our brain that needs to be exposed to the sacred geometry of nature. And so just by the simple act of looking at a flower, looking at the shape of a leaf, noticing the, the geometry of these plants and the way that that goes into your brain, that's like a part of our evolutionary past that we're ignoring right now. And I've done this experiment with my, with my godson when, when he gets fussy, cause he's, he's only, uh, not quite two years old when he gets fussy and you can't calm him down, he's crying and he's irritable and stuff. I will take him outside and I will literally shove his face into a plant and he quiets down immediately. And he just becomes so entranced by being with the flowers and with the leaves and it calms him right down. And I see it in him and I see it in me. And I think it's just something that people need to do. They need to get back to nature. They need to find that respect and that reverence for the, the earth that gives us all life and supports us. Well put. Well said, Gavin. So before we sign off, I want to shout out Evan Float here in Columbus, Ohio. They've been very receptive in working with first responders. So be sure to hit them up, especially their facility is like my dream. Let's give a shout out to Zero Gravity Institute. Where else should people go to learn more about you and to keep up with what you're doing, Kevin? Well, you can go on our website. We've got a lot going on at our float center. You know, we, we also do, we also have a um, studio where we do yoga and Qigong and Tai Chi classes like that. And we do a lot of really cool special events, a lot of shamanic events and a lot of healing events. Um, and, but all that's available at uh, zerogravityinstitute.com. And I also want to give a shout out to Ebb and Float. Um, uh, Kimberly and Rick are two of my dearest, closest friends. I love them so much. I, I love hanging out with them. I love doing work with them. And they, they are just tops in my book. And they, they built a beautiful float center. And um, yeah, they, it's, 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 it's a really beautiful um, piece of love that they're, they're providing for their community. I can't say enough about them. Awesome. Yeah, this whole float community is just a, it's a wonderful thing. So thanks again for coming on my show and thanks for the conversation and all your insight. Thank you, Nick. I really enjoyed it. I appreciate being on here. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. Make sure to support this podcast by subscribing on iTunes and leaving me a review, following me on social media at Prime Philosophy, and just by spreading the word. Shakoba.